This is Daily Path Podcast. I'm your host, podcast coach, and transformational speaker, Joe Winters Jr. Now I've been in this business a long time. God gave me the gift of a strong mind. And when I step foot on a path, the good and the bad, they just come by. Never done trying. I do it, I do it. Till each time I do it, it's done right. Ooh. And God left his signature on me. So how could I ever be unsigned? See, everyone has got a gift. Not anonymous, but God given. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Daily Path Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Winters Jr. And today's topic is authentically connecting with self. I am joined by guest Judy Turkheimer, who is an inspirational life coach and author of Finding Myself in a Nightmare, a mother's healing journey through her daughter's addiction. Judy, how are you doing today? I'm great, Joe. Thanks so much for having me on your show. You're welcome. Thank you for joining me on my show today. Um, so in your book, you share your story of waking to the truth, learning to navigate the pain and realizing you had to heal yourself from years of self-loathing to positively affect your daughter's recovery. Um, so if you don't mind, let's start, let's start at the beginning before we even get into that. Um, what were you doing bef- before you came to, um, this experience like what you know what were you doing professionally what were you doing personally tell us all the things where, where, where did your journey start professionally has been an interesting um an interesting and difficult path in many ways um i like so many people in my age group i went to college right after high school because i was supposed to um i went in as an art major came out as a business major mm. really weird yeah wasn't really thrilled with the business world. And then I got married and had kids, which was my greatest gift. Um, and I was, I was fortunate to stay home with my three children until my oldest was 13. My youngest was seven and my ex-husband left. Mm. Um, and then there was a little bit of time that I kind of scratched my head and said, how am I supposed to do this? Um, and I actually went back into the workforce as a counter person in a, in a fast, casual restaurant. <laughs> um, and I loved it, frankly. I, I absolutely loved the customers, and, um, and it was kind of a non-pressure thing. Fast forward, um, I needed something a little different for my brain, and um, my, mom had, my mom's a teacher, and she had been pushing me for years, substitute teach. So I started substitute teaching. I have since um, earned my master's degree in teaching, but I am still a substitute. Um, A little little higher level sometimes, but I'm still substitute teaching. However, in that mm, 15 years or so, no, longer than that, he left me in 2002, so 20 years. Um, I also went back to school and got my coaching degree um, and started coaching and finding out that that really is where my passion lies. Mm. Um, However, alongside one of my skill sets and also passion, there's just too many of them, is writing. Um, And I knew I had a book in me. I had no idea what it was going to be. While while I was in major trauma, and we're going to talk about that, um, a friend of mine said, you really have to write a book. And I said, yeah, but about what? And he said about this, meaning about my daughter's addiction that she was running through. And this was the result, finding myself in a nightmare, a mother's healing journey um, through her daughter's addiction. And whew, that changed my life. Not the book writing so much, although that did change my life in some ways that came after. 
Um, but actually moving through the sludge of loving an addict was transformative. Mm, interesting. Would you say that, uh, so would you say that you, you mentioned how you went back to coach and you found that coaching was um, your passion, um, one of your many passions, you also were passionate about writing. Would you say that um, before um, coming to your daughter's addiction, you were um, already invested in what you were passionate about doing um, and you remained committed to that passion even through the addiction or or would you say that there was um you you had to put it on hold at some point that's a that's a great question and and as you were asking I'm like of course I was still passionate about that that's my passion and then I went mm, not so much during that intense period um which was about, I'd say maybe 18 months to two years of the, mm. in, the intensity aspect, um, I shut down. Mm. I, I really did. I, I had to kind of pull in all my strength around me and push out anything that detracted from that strength. Mm. Mm. So um, as part of my healing journey, I learned, and, and all of what I'm going to say is in the book in some fashion, because um, I, I wrote the book as true to what was happening in my life as I could possibly do. And that, that required some really tough writing days and lots of tears, because mm -hmm. I had to relive it over and over again. But um, mm -hmm. because I was so fragile, um, I had to erect boundaries that I had never before erected. Mm. And um, that looked like, no, I can't do that for you. No, I can't be there for you. Um, no, you can't call me while I'm at yoga, trying to you know, relax a little bit from the thing I call my life. Mm. Um, so, so that was a huge shift for me. I, uh, a lot of people, particularly women were taught to be people pleasers mm. and we give, 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 except to ourselves. We don't mm. give to ourselves. We don't think it's okay to give to ourselves. Oh, if I don't, if I don't bake that cake for the party, then what are they going to do? Well, right. what are they going to do? Go to the store and buy it. But you know, there's this pressure and that's kind of a simple example, but there's this pressure. They're counting on my cake. They love mm. my cake. Right. I need to, you know, give up the time in order to make my cake. Well, I've got 16 other things to do. I'm stressing beyond stress. Mm, can't make the cake. Sorry. <laughs> you know? right. And that's all part of that boundary um, setting. So while I was in the, the most intense part of caring for my, my daughter, the addict at the time, um, there just wasn't any, any bandwidth for, for making the cake right? Mm. For, for catering to the others. It had to be all about me or I was going to die mm. in one way or another. So to your question, um, my passion for coaching, my passion for writing, although I did write in my journal pretty regularly and thankfully, because a lot of that was able to catalyze um, truth in my, in my book. But, um, but beyond that, I was surviving. You know, I went to work, I came home, Oftentimes I went to bed. Um, I was exhausted by what was happening around me. And also um, going, to the going to bed gave me the illusion of avoiding what was there, which I did a lot of in the beginning. 
Definitely. Would you, um, whenever you had to begin setting boundaries, um, were these boundaries only set with your daughter or did you also have to begin setting boundaries with others? Yeah, actually very few of them had to do with my daughter. And um, mm. as I spoke of, I, I don't mean to keep saying this. It's just, I, like, I always feel like I'm repeating myself because I wrote it <laughs> and I lived it. Keep repeating um, yourself. Keep telling your story. But, yeah. The, the biggest, the biggest shift in terms of boundaries was actually with my mother. My mother and I had a very stressful, I don't know if she would say this for me, it was a very stressful, strained relationship for 50 years. Mm. Um, when this happened, I was around 50. Yeah, I was 50 actually, 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> and, and it was always, um, it was always me kind of walking away feeling like I'd been beaten up. And I didn't have a voice with my mother. And when I finally got real with what was happening in my life, um, I knew that I needed to tell my parents they are, they've always been very supportive despite my difficulty with my mother. Um, I knew that they would be people I could count on for support. And, um, and I, I just showed up one day at their door they live pretty close to me. And I said, I need to talk to you. And before I even got to you out of my mouth, the tears were running down my face. They, you know, brought me in and, and I told them that what was going on. And immediately the questions started, which, you know, I, I understood they, this was, I'd been living with it, even if I was pretending I wasn't living with it for months at that point, probably mm. six to eight. Um, and it was new to their ears. And so I, I, you know, I answered what I could. And when I was done, I don't know why, you know, divine intervention said, mom, dad, I love you. I know you're concerned. Talk to each other. You cannot be calling me and asking mm. me questions on a daily basis. Mm. And that's powerful. That's powerful. Yeah. Well, and, and, um, I, I don't even mean to cut you off here. No, it's good. I, I do want to ask you that statement, that decision and statement alone, how, how impactful was that to your life? It was um, probably one of the most game-changing moments of my life. Why would you say that is, if you don't mind me asking? Well, so um, my mom, being my mom, called me next day, where is she? How is she? What are you doing? Mom, I don't, I don't have answers for you. Please don't ask me these questions. If I have something to bring you, I will. Mm. Next day, what's going on? Anything, mom, you can't keep calling me. And the third day after I went to yoga, which was sort of my respite, it was my only respite. And I came out of yoga and there's a message on my machine or, or on my voicemail, call me. And I, my parents are, you know, they're 30 years older than me. So they were elderly even then. And um, I was always concerned because I'm the closest family member, um, physically closest to them. Called my mom back and she did the same thing. And I said, I cannot and will not do this. If you call me again in this manner, I'm not going to pick up your call anymore. Mm. 
what happened was, and, and, you know, I can't speak for my mom or for my parents in terms of how that affected them, but over the course of the next six months, they were nothing but supportive and lovely. Um, mm -hmm. And over the course of, I'd say a year, a year to two years, they and I, I almost hate to say they, because it really wasn't my dad. It was my mom. I've always had a nice relationship with my dad. Um, my mother shifted. And, you know, how energy works is my energy changes, your energy changes to accommodate my energy, right? So we, even when we, do, and this is something that I really believe in terms of healing the addict. When I changed my energy, when I healed myself, that energy moves out right. and my daughter is one of the, you know, one of the closest people in all ways to my energy. And so she, I, I do believe that that helped her to shift. But um, so, so my, my mom stopped pressuring me for things that I couldn't give her. Mm. I was then able to sort of step back from her because I wasn't constantly feeling agitated as I had most of my life. I was able to sort of move back and say, hmm, she's kind of a cool person and get to know her, right? And it just built. And, and I found my voice also as, a, as a, um, a, a benefit of that boundary setting. I was able to, and I'm a coach. So, you know, coaches are, we're taught to ask questions, to articulate, to, to be curious, right? So, I came from this place of curiosity. And when she said something that made me prickle, I was suddenly able to say to her things like, well, why would you say that? Or mm. what do you mean by that? Or I'm not sure I agree, right? Mm. So, so this dialogue started and, and it, just, um, it, it just grew from there. Everything, everything with her shifted mm. um, and because of my shift, everything with everybody else shifted, right? I found myself being more patient. I found myself being curious more often. I found myself um, rather than reacting, um, I found myself thinking about what was being said to me in, in every realm, right? So, so it, yeah, it was a huge moment. <laughs> I, 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 I can see and you, I you know, you said a lot there that I think you know, that all of us um, can learn from in terms of actually setting boundaries and and not only setting boundaries, but being diligent in upholding those boundaries. You know, I, I like how you mentioned that um, you said that third time you had to say, you know, you can't keep calling me in this manner or I will not pick up your, your call anymore. Um, and that's powerful because I think that, you know, if we're not careful, we have a tendency of believing that our words is going to change something when it's, it's going to require action. And so um, it, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to hear that, you know, for you to reach that point and for your mom to have that shift as a result of you have, you know, setting your boundaries, upholding your boundaries, owning your voice. Um, I, that's just a very powerful and inspiring thing. Um, so I, I just wanted to um, commend you for that to very Thank much so. You. You're welcome. Um, I mean, another piece of that, and it, and it 
I hope I'm not like cutting off a, a burning question that you had. <laughs> no, no, um, go ahead. Tied to, to my experience, um, and I think really important for people who love someone who's self-destructing, which is what addiction is, and it, it doesn't have to be drug addiction, it can be any addiction. Um, I, I learned to respect my mother. I learned to respect where she'd been, what her experiences were, how she came into being who she is, um, just like I honored my own path. And that was kind of um, a, a result maybe of boundaries, but in addition, in trying to grapple with the real possibility of losing my daughter, I had to accept that as individuals, right? No, take out the, the familial relationships. As individuals, we are on a path. My path, I believe, is to help people to find who they are authentically and to live happier lives. Mm. Um, I didn't know what her path was, my daughter's. And I had to respect it. And I say in the mm. book, I, you know, I had to accept that if her path took her to her death, that was her path. And it didn't have to take me down. Mm. I mean, it would have, you know, the, there is no question that I would be emotional, um, that I would be devastated, but it didn't have to crumble me. I could still thrive in my path. Mm. And so that respect that I was able to give my mom and, and start to learn that she was a real person with real feelings and real experiences that were credible, um, I also had to go there with my daughter. And, and so that ripples out also, you know, when you get to that place where you can actually respect each individual path, things stop being personal. Right. They stop being attacks on me or I've never been a woe is me kind of person. I don't I don't wallow in victimhood, although I've had my moments. Mm. Um, and certainly there were more before this happened than there are now. But um, but, you know, we all we all have experiences that inform right. how we're behaving in this moment. Right. Definitely. So I believe we all can learn something from that. Um, so please tell us about your daughter's addiction? Like, how did you find out about it? And what was your initial, like your original response to your phone? Yeah. So um, my other two children started saying things to me, mom, Kayla's using um, drugs. Nah. Well, these things are disappearing. Nah. Right. So there were, I call them whispers and, and there's a, there's a chapter that's, um, that's devoted to these whispers that I heard people as it got worse, people, more people said things like, Hey, have you noticed these behaviors? Have you noticed this? Whatever. All of those things were also easily explained because she was a teenager. She was in her first, second year of college um, community college. She was out with a boyfriend. She was, you know, out with other friends. She had mellifluous excuses. Um, one of my favorite words. So that means they were just easy and, and, and fluid. And I didn't want to believe that there was a drug problem. So I believed her. 
simple as that. I believed her and I believed her and I believed her and things were disappearing. And my other kids were saying, things are disappearing. Wake up, mom. Nope, I'm going to stay sleeping because it's too scary to wake up. Um, of course, eventually I had to wake up. There was a particular event that made me go, okay, game over. Um, and and it, it, you can sleep, but your mind's still working. So even though I say I went to bed, I say I kind of ignored it, it was always there. You know, once, once you see something, you can't unsee it. Once you're aware, you can't be unaware. And that goes for positive and negative things. It's one of the things that I teach my clients is that you don't have to do anything with this. Just being aware is going to work on you. And mm -hmm. as it works on you, you're going to shift whatever it is, right? right. Um, so it was working on me. This, this nightmare was working on me. Um, and it, I guess you would say that it reached critical mass. Uh, and the numbers of things that were, were gone, the money that was gone, I couldn't keep just pretending it away. Mm. And, um, and I, there were levels after that of, of my willingness. One of the things that I really urge people to do is to get information. Um, one, one of the reasons that I was so ignorant to what was going on is that I had never experienced drugs in my purview. I, I didn't know what that looked like. I wasn't privy to that as a child or a young adult. I, I just didn't know. And so um, later on, I found out that the behaviors I was seeing were classic heroin addiction behaviors, but I didn't know. So one of the things that I urge people to do is to get information, mm. just get informed. And, and that is one of the there's three reasons that I wrote my book. One of them is so that, you know, if, and, and this was me, I'm not, I'm not a group person. I'm one-on-one, -on -one, I'm great. I'm not great um, in like a meeting, what they would call a meeting, you know, a, a, an Al-Anon meeting or whatever. I, I am a little bit of an introvert and lots of people just kind of shuts me down. Um, so one of the reasons for the book is if you're like me and you're and you just kind of want to sit in the privacy of your own home and get some information, of course, the Internet has lots good and bad. Um, you can sit down with the book and kind of get a view of what it looked like for me. And a lot of things are going to be the same if you're dealing with an addict. Mm. So that definitely makes sense. Um, what would you what where are one or two places you would recommend? Um, people to get information from? Oh, well, of course I want people to buy my book. Absolutely. I'm going to include the <laughs> link in the show notes as well. Definitely so. Um, I, you know, I, I say that kind of tongue in cheek, but I, I did write it with the intention that, that people um, get information, mm. truly. Um, I, I would say... Look into um, maybe a local detox clinic, a place, a place that might have, we were, we were very lucky. The place that my daughter went for detox had a program that I was mandated to go to um, if I wanted to visit her. Of course, that was once I got her into a program. So it was a kind of a little too late stuff, but that was a ton of information for me 
mm. much of which I couldn't process, I'll admit. Mm. Obviously, the internet has all kinds of stuff. You, you know, it's hard to vet if you don't know what is mm. true and what is or what is good and what isn't. The biggest push for me at the time was to go to um, either Al-Anon or Naranon meetings. And mm. that was a mixed bag for me. I would never dissuade anyone from going to meetings. I think it was really important that I did. Mm. It just wasn't my brand of, of learning. Um, mm. and, and there are reasons for that, mm. both personal and because of the meetings that I went to. But, but meetings have a different flavor based on where you are. And right. if you look if you look for meetings, you'll find dozens of them in right. all kinds of locations at all kinds of times. So there's there's lots of that available. And, um, you know, all of those things together, looking in the internet, going to a meeting, you know, maybe talking to a facility, reading my book, those things will all contribute to your learning. Mm. Um, and, and there are there are things that resonate with each of us. Right. One of the things that I was told um, later in her addiction, when I finally needed to send her to a rehab out of state, the gentleman that helped me to do that said to me, and he had been an addict, he'd been clean seven years at, at that time. Um, and he said to me, here's the deal parents think they're helping their kids when they do things like send them money and let them come home and blah, blah, blah. He said, statistically, you're going to put her in a grave sooner by doing that. You have to, you have to give her tough love. Mm. And this was a completely foreign concept to me. Mm. Um, if your listeners are, are dealing with these issues, they might want to um, go on the internet or find a book about tough love. It was horrific. Um, difficult, most difficult thing probably I've ever done. And I believe it was necessary. Mm. I, I believe that with all of my heart. Thank you for sharing that. Um, mm -hmm. So in your book, you share tips and tools that kept you from going insane. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for, for, for someone listening right now who may be experiencing what you went through in silence, um, what are one or two tips um, from your book that you would be okay with sharing with us today? Oh, I'd share them all if we had all that time. I'd <laughs> read you the book. <laughs> maybe we should, maybe we should do that. We need to, we need to get your, um, get your, get your audio book. I will be happy to do that. And if you'll help me to do that, we're in. Absolutely. We could do that. Love it. Uh, love it. Love it. Um, you know, we're all different. I'm, I'm, what I call an exterior processor. I'm an introvert, but I'm an exterior processor, which means I need to talk it out. I need to hear myself thinking um, out loud in order to process things. So one of the things that I would, I, I would um, urge people to do is to find the person or people who they can trust. And I, I was listening to one of your podcasts and you talked about sharing your goals and commitments I mean, goals and, and passions with the wrong people and that that can be deflating and you really want to choose the people that are going to support you. Right. Same thing here, you know, mm. choose the people. Addiction is difficult because it's not something that people readily speak about. 
Um, there's a lot of silent sufferers out there, both addicted and loving an addict. Mm. So I found myself getting all kinds of unsolicited advice from people. I've always been somebody who felt like if, if by virtue of something I'm going through or went through, you can, you can be benefited. I'm going to share with you. Um, people have lots of advice. Don't take it all. <laughs> you know, a lot of it, a lot of it is coming from, a lot of it is coming from a very loving, but misinformed place. So Find that person or people who can support you emotionally, not necessarily um, tactically, mm. and then tactically find those people or organizations or outlets where you can learn and, um, and come to some kind of an understanding mm. with, with what's going on. On the other side, um, it was uber important for me to heal myself. And, mm. and, you know, we've been on that through this whole conversation. I believe that if you are broken, you're not going to fix your kids. Mm. You're not going to fix your friends. And, and truthfully, we don't fix anyone except ourselves. But I think that as you heal, um, come to terms, find your um, your meaning, your authenticity. I believe that that energy not only saves you, but it ripples out. And, and it, if, even if it doesn't save your addict, it impacts others positively. So when we do good for ourselves, when we figure out how to love ourselves authentically, um, that, that action ripples into the world and, most of us will never know how much. Um, I happen to believe a lot. Mm. You know, I, I, I definitely agree with that. It, it is it is a lot. And um, it really comes down to that. Uh, I remember whenever I was playing sports, football specifically, coaches used to say all the time, um, you never know who's watching you. You never know. You never know. And that's really what, what this comes down to. You heal yourself. You be graceful to yourself. You treat yourself with care. You be all that you can be, and you never know who, who's watching. And um, those who are watching and those who are influenced by you, um, it it is positively um, impacting their lives. So I wholeheartedly agree with that sentiment. Um, you are currently coaching others on connecting to their authentic self. In your experience, what have you noticed to be some of the main reasons that prevent people from being authentic? There are, you know, there are zillions of reasons, as many reasons as there are people. I would say that the, the themes that I find, one is trauma. Trauma, um, especially when we're young, right? We learn to cope. Our, our guardians are our gods and they have to be a safe place for us or else we, we unravel. So we make them right all the time. And when things aren't right, our coping skills as children protect us. But as we age, they don't work anymore. They actually, they actually, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I can see it, but I can't say it. They, they conspire to unravel us. 
rather than keep us held together. So there's there's this place of trauma in, in adults that once they can look at it and, and understand why they did it. So there's never guilt in my, in my coaching. It's always awareness, forgiveness, um, because we do the best we can. And so do our guardians. They do the best they can, or they would have done it differently, right? If they knew better. Um, so there's, there's trauma and there's also habit. Mm. So we humans have lots of habits. Some of them are called beliefs, right? right? You may have a habit of believing that you can't succeed mm -hmm. and guess what? You won't. Right. 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 And our language plays into that. Um, we have created this beautiful, this beautiful story that we live in that, that, helps us to be exactly what we believe we deserve, mm. right? And we may not believe that it, as we're chatting with friends, but there's something very central in us that believes this is what we deserve. And so um, the habits that we have that, that support um, less than positive things in our lives can be changed. And I'm a, I'm a big proponent of baby steps. When I was going through the, the nightmare, um, I had a friend who would say to me, just take one, one positive step. And um, at the time I belonged to a gym and I knew that going to exercise would help me. And I couldn't get myself out the door. And she said, you don't have to, just put your sneakers on. And guess what happened when I put my sneakers on? I put the rest of my clothing on, right? And then guess what happened? I got in the car. And she would say to me, just get in the car. You don't have to go anywhere. Well, if I got in the car, I drove to the gym. And she would say, you don't have to go in. Just sit in the parking lot. Mm. You, you feel what I'm saying, I right? Do. I so, so I'm a big proponent of don't, don't make it an elephant. Don't make it so big that it's going to shut you down tiny, tiny little steps are going to start working on you, whether it's, whether it's a step toward healing, whether it's a step toward habit build, new habit building right. or habit undoing. Right. Um, right. I, I, I think you know, I gave you two. <laughs> you, you definitely did. And I love that. You know, um, last year was, I, I brought, um, a guy on by the name of David Ball and, um, he um he has ran in the Boston Marathon, but he was sharing with me that anytime they bring someone out for the first time to train or in those first few months, the you know, just at the beginning, he said, You're not allowed to time yourself, you're not allowed to judge yourself, you're not allowed, you're not allowed to do those things. Just show up and, and literally like jog, have fun. He went as far as to say that if you can't talk while you're jogging, you're going too fast, you're going too hard. And um, I, I say that because it is a very unique way of getting started instead of believing that I have to be where I would like to be at the time of starting, right? And so um, baby steps, I, I, you know, I can, it's, it's funny because younger me, I did not believe in that. Now, I, <laughs> I completely believe in that. Which is really interesting. And if we had a ton more time, I'd, I'd start picking at you instead of you picking it at me, you know, to kind of ask you what, what that looked like as a, as a younger person and why, 
why slash how it evolved to a different place? Mm, you know that that that's a that's an interesting question. I so you know just answering that. Um, always, I was always taught like work ethic. You know, be the hardest worker in the room. Never let anyone outwork you. And um, and I, I and I live by that. But what I've somewhere along the lines, it was in my undergraduate. Um, I had heard the idea that our greatest strengths are also our greatest weaknesses. And, um, and I would say it didn't change at that time, but that was kind of like the seed being planted. Mm -hmm. And so um, then I, you know, just over the course of time, um, since then, got into a place where it was like, you know, well, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to believe that working hard and outworking others is so important to the point where I kill myself, which as we're talking about it, um, there was actually a time in my entrepreneurial journey, I would, I would say probably about two years ago, where my train of thought, this is my honest train of thought was, if I slept for four hours a night, I would create an extra work work day for me to outperform my competitors. And ouch. <laughs> right, right. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> so it, uh, when I first started that, it sounded good in theory. And you know, for the first, I'd say month or two, like it was great, but um, it wasn't sustainable. And I'd say probably four months in, my health, I started seeing the difference in my health, my health was taking a toll. And so it's like, well, um, that, and then like, I, I was listening to um, Ed Milet and he, he spoke about on his podcast about how um, he had, he was giving his story about his health issues once upon a time in his life, he goes to the doctor, um, Ed Milet has a daughter, I have a daughter. So I kind of just resonated with his story as he was telling it. He goes to the doctor and uh, the doctor says, hey, like, you your daughter's young like whatever age his daughter was at the time you plan on walking your daughter down the aisle one day right yes he asked him he asked am i left this list of questions and then he says you're not going to get to do none of that if you don't change your habits and, and live a healthier life and so for me that's when it flipped because healthy in terms of a football player or an athlete just always meant going to the gym crushing the weights outworking my competitors as an athlete healthy rarely included self-care rarely and so I had to learn that and you know that kind of was the um path that um I and I went on to to learn that thank you for asking yeah and our society doesn't our, our society really supports the isms so what mm. you described was a was a work a workaholic mm behavior that's an ism right alcoholism right. um right, right. Uh, shopaholics right gamblers that gambling they're, they're all i call them isms right. and our society picks and chooses which mm -hmm. ones are are to be revered mm. and which ones not so much and of course you know um drug addiction is an ism that isn't so much but even alcoholism um if you talk to people who are, let's say, in the sales fields and they're dry, they have problems because the traditional way of selling is let's go out for a drink. 
Mm, right. Particularly right. men, right? What's the matter right. with you? You're not, you're having soda. What's wrong with you? You can't right. be a real man, right? These are things that our society really, um, really encourages. And for example, not that you asked it for it, but um, I was an anorexic and I, in, in terms of addictions, I guess I'm always right. An anorexic I'm, I'm fine now, but when my daughter went into this nightmare um, and brought me along for fun, I was really struggling. I'm an empath. So I really wanted to understand what this mechanism was that caused her to be an addict. And people said to me, well, you're, you, you're anorexic. You, it's, a, it's an ism, right? It's an addiction. And I was like, no, it's not. It is. And it's not. So I was never hospitalized. I, it never got that bad. Um, and I speak about it freely because young women have heard me speak about it and are like, wait, what? Really? You know, um, but being thin in this society is revered. So I was encouraged, right? I could wear the size zero. I could wear the minus zero, right? right. And this is, a so there's this, this thing in society that, that I wouldn't say it creates it, but it definitely encourages some of these behaviors. And so when I coach people and, and their mindset is being encouraged, we really have to sort of parse out what's healthy and what's not, right. what, what's authentic and what's not. Mm. You know, what's other people's fears and worries and what are yours? Mm. Mm. I, li I like that. I like that. Yeah. Um, but before we get off today, I would like for you to share where my listeners can connect with you, because um, I'm sure there is someone that that needs that work along with your book. So um, before we jump off, I, I want to ask you um, if if is there a principle or practice that you didn't get to share today that <laughs> you would like to share now? Uh, there's always something, but it might take me a while to come up with it. <laughs> um, if you can't look in the mirror and say, I love you to yourself, mm. you have work to do. Mm. That's powerful. If you can't look in the mirror and say, I love you to yourself, you have work to do. I like that. Which, which isn't to say that if you can, you're perfect. None of us are perfect. We're human. <laughs> right, right. We, are, we are designed to have things all the time to, to work on, to, to, um, to be better at. But self-love is so key mm. to the work that I do and to the healing that I've been through and continue to go through. And without without having gotten to a place where I could truly love myself, mm. I don't think any of this would be, would be happening. Mm. Mm. That's so, you know, most of us want to be successful. You can't be successful if you're bleeding for others. Right. You have, you, you have to take care of yourself. Um, it's the, it's the almost cliche, you know, you're in the airplane and the, and the air masks drop put it on your own face and then put it on your children's face. Because if you die, your kid's not going to survive either. Mm. So you have to take care of yourself. Right. And as parents, I mean, there's, there's so many good reasons for doing this work. 
Um, because we, you know, by and large, parents want the absolute best for their children. And if they're teaching their children their isms, if they're teaching their children their lack, and we all do, I did, you know, um, it's, it's not on purpose. There's nothing, there's nothing menacing about it. But if we're, if that's what our children are seeing, that's the gift we're giving them. Mm. And the opposite is true as well. So if they are seeing us working toward health, um, there's a part in my book where I talk about going back to school and that I was delighted to, to be going to school alongside my kids because they got to see the dedication and the, the hard work and that you could change yourself at any age. That was my thought then. Um, so it works both ways. You know, you do the work, your kids benefit from seeing you do the work and knowing it's okay to do the work. Right. And not only is it okay, but it's imperative. Right. Or you stay where you are and you continue to offer them a viewpoint that's not quite as authentic, not quite as whole, mm. um, not quite as healthy. Mm. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. If you don't mind, can you please share with us um, where we can find, where we can find you, connect with you and get your book as well? Absolutely. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. So um, I do have a website. My coaching business is called Color Your Rainbow. Um, it's colouryourrainbow.com, one, no spaces colouryourrainbow.com um, and, and there's a uh, fill in if you're interested in getting more information or working with me that you can send and then I'll get in touch um, via telephone or email. Um, the book it is available at most online booksellers. I believe some offline booksellers have picked it up. Um, I don't know about that yet. Um, it's called Finding Myself in a Nightmare, A Mother's Healing Journey Through Her Daughter's Addiction. Um, so if, if that, if for whatever reason you can't find it, um, certainly go on my website and contact me and I will hook you up with a signed copy if you'd like to get it from me. Um, that all works. Um, I hate to say it because Amazon has it. <laughs> I, I, I'm not a not a uh, marketer for Amazon. Amazon has it. Barnes and Nobles has it. Um, some of the smaller booksellers have it. So it shouldn't be hard to find. Mm, thank you for sharing. And, and uh, I am more than happy to um, to be a resource for people. Mm, so you. they can again, they can get me through my website, um, and I'll respond. Mm, thank you. Thank you for joining me today, Judy. Oh, thank you, Joe. It's been an absolute pleasure. You're a delight. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, to my listeners, um, I hope you take something from today's episode and apply it in your daily path. Until next time, have a blessed day. I want to be unique. Got more than my kid I could teach. I want you to hear when I speak. I want to free people in prison by stigmas and popular common beliefs. Don't want you to think. I want you to feel. Look down inside you and tell me what's real. If you're unsure, then you're uncured. We only get one life, man. It's a big deal. Do you love what you do?